Welcome to This Is Influence. It's a show about how B2B brands and execs can become more influential. This week, I speak to Clive Armitage. He's the CEO of Agent3, a leading global ABM agency. Prior to that, he ran Bike Communications for 17 years, only one of the most successful PR agencies in the world. He has started and advised many businesses, and so he's the perfect person to help us define what an influential business is and what a personal brand is and how to build one. While he worked in the PR industry, Clive was considered one of the most influential people in technology PR in the world. This is just an absolute masterclass on company building, entrepreneurship, and being intentional about growing your influence in such a way as to give you an unfair advantage in the marketplace. We go deep into the weeds about what defines a great business, the three pillars of company building, and what he learned from his dad on how to treat people. If you're interested in any of that stuff, then this is the podcast for you. So this is old, this is new, this is Influence. Clive Armitage, welcome to This Is Influence. Great to be with you, Nathan. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Clive, I've been super excited to speak to you and this is well overdue. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time, specifically because we today we're going to teach the world everything there is to know about growing marketing services businesses today in 30 minutes. So um, we're going to distill all of your decades of experience down to a, a bite-sized episode. So You've given us a huge amount of advice and consultancy over the years. Thank you very much for that. You've also started and grown many successful businesses yourselves. What defines a great marketing services business in, in your opinion? So I think the, the answer for me always comes back to what's a single problem that you are trying to solve. So as a, as a services business, you are helping a customer or a brand, same thing, I guess, solve a challenge which is meaningful to them and the bigger the challenge the more valuable the challenge the more valuable you are as a business and so i think when you you start any kind of business what you've got to understand in market services business, what you've got to understand is, is, is first and foremost what problem do i solve for my customers the second thing is how am i going to solve that problem in a way which is differentiated because the chances are there are other people trying to solve similar problems so how do I do it in a way which is super differentiated and makes my business feel like it's the business that any brand needs to talk to? And then I guess the third thing is, and this is a, a truism, a cliche, whatever we want to call it, a services business is only as good as the people that exist within it and that serve the customer. So you've got to build the culture within that business which attracts, retains, and develops amazing talent better than the competition. So it's those three things. What's the problem you want to solve? How are you differentiated in solving it? And then who is going to carry out your, your, your uh, customer service to the extent that the customers love what you do for them? What are the specific parameters or d dynamics of influence in your mind? And how do you see using data to influence your customer's customer? Like what are the dynamics of influence in your mind? And, and how do you use that to influence your customer's customer? So there's two big old questions in there, aren't there? So the, the, let's first look at the, the subject of influence. And, and I think you know, there's, a, there's probably a, a dictionary definition of influence which is based around 
causing an effect or getting people to do something through some kind of intangible. There'll be something that talks about influencing people to do things without them being realised that they're being influenced. Um, I probably need to look up the def- def- dictionary <laughs> definition of that. Um, there is a dictionary definition, yeah. Yeah, but to my mind, you know, influence comes from um, behaviours that drive em- emulation or desire, right? So if I think about my world, I look at influences who I, I, I admire, respect, and listen to as people that have super smart ideas um, do things the right way. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel like their behaviors and their, their ethics and their morals are, are aligned to the way I see the world and that command respect through that. And then that drive, drive for me, the desire to emulate their behaviors. And, and I think anecdotally, probably one, one life lesson came from me. So, you know, my, my, my parents are uh, pretty working class, South Southeast Londoners. Dad was a, uh, a PC in uh, the Met for a number of years. He got a long service medal. And I went up uh, with him to Scotland Yard when I was, uh, I think, 18, 19, um, and, and my whole family. And we met the guy who was in charge of the, the station. And my dad had this guy on, on a uh, pedestal. And he said, you know, this guy influences everyone in the station. And he said, I'd love you to meet him. So I met met this guy, and he seemed a very nice guy, and he spent time with us, and he was very respectful of my, my dad, even though my dad was at the bottom rung of the, of the station's hierarchy. Um, and my, I said to my dad after, I said, so what, why, why is that guy held in such esteem by everyone? Why is he so influential? And he said, well, he treats everyone um, from the, the cleaner who comes in every day to when we had the queen open the, the, the uh, station a few years back, exactly the same. He is no different. And that, for me, is a behavior set which is super to emulate. And I, I've taken that lesson from the earliest stage of my career as I, I always try and be as even-handed with the people I'm talking to as possible. And it doesn't matter if I'm talking to Larry Ellison or, uh, from Oracle or the, 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 the youngest grad who's just coming to the business. You, know, you, you, you treat people the same with respect and trust. And that drives influence ultimately, because I think by behaving that way, what people look at is actually that's the way to behave myself. And you know, I, I, I've taken that 35 years ago uh, experience through my career, and and I think it's a watchword for anyone who wants to drive influence, right? So that's a kind of rambling way of answering the question around you know what influence looks like and how to build influence. It's a, it's around behaviours, um, and then those behaviours. People wanted to emulate them. Then there's the question about well, what does influence look like in terms of our customer's customer and the data to, to derive that. And to my mind, you know, that comes down to brands needing to understand that they can't be brand centric. They have to be focused on the needs of the audience that they're trying to reach and engage with and ultimately influence. And the only way to do that is to listen, right? I mean, you go into a pub um, and or a bar and you're at the bar and you've got someone just, you know, you're, you're meeting and they're, they're just shouting at you about, you know, how great they are. You're going to think they're boring. You're going to walk away from them. Um, you want to engage with people that 
are attentive to your conversation, that listen to what you have to say, that respond to what you have to say with interesting um, anecdotes or feedback on what you said. And then it becomes a two-way relationship. That's where brands need to get really smart about the data that's available for them to listen to their customers and audiences' needs and then to respond accordingly. We are in an audience-centric world, right, where um, from, from consumers and increasingly enterprises, they drive the process of engagement with brands. And if we don't listen to, to that process and we don't adhere to the need to respond to our audiences and their desires and wants, then ultimately we're going to fail. And that, for me, is where data drives the influence that um, is possible um, in today's marketing environment. There, there are far too many B2B brands who are solely focused on themselves, talking about their products, their solutions, and what they do really well, and almost ignoring what the customer challenges and what their their pain point is. I, I think we fall in love with our own products, and it's it's hard not to when you're in your own own business, f- focusing on developing new products and, and solutions. It's hard not to that for, for that to dominate everything that you talk about externally, but B2B brands need to kind of rein that in and, and focus back on the customer. And that goes back to focusing on, well, who are your most important customers to your point, building a, an a insight and getting a really clear picture of what's happening in, inside their business so that you can identify, hey, well, here are the challenges that you, you have, Mr. Customer, and here's how ask products and solutions that are now relevant can help you solve those problems. 100%. That's exactly right. I mean, you have to have a value exchange in B2B in today's environment to be successful, particularly with fragmented buying centers where, um, you know, maybe in the past you were selling to one or two people now. You know, the, the buying center you may be selling to is so diverse um, and so broad that to be successful, you've really got to have a clear picture of what the drivers for those uh, people in that buying center are likely to be and respond to them accordingly. You cannot sell on features and functions. You sell on need. And the only way to understand selling on need is through the data that's available. So that brings me to another question about brand and the importance of brand. Because while this conversation that we're having is about influence, and you know, you can take out the word in, in influence and substitute that with brand and trust and credibility, because I think a lot of what we've talked about so far is, you know, we talk a lot about influencer marketing, of, of course, because we're an influencer agency, but really the vast majority of influential conversations in business happen offline and happen one-to-one and it happens with <laughs> with people. And to your point with your dad and the lessons that you learned early on in your life, it's about how you treat people and how you respond to people and how people respond to you. So w- part of that, really is about the brand of that individual that you listened and learned from because that's that's his kind of north star and you kind of you know took that and 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 used that yourself you've obviously sort of built your own brand and credibility in that way what have you learned about how b2b brands can create a brand to talk to so many different stakeholders within a business. If you're selling complex products and services, you're you're speaking to multiple different people who have all different sorts of challenges and, and concerns and, and, and issues. What role does brand play in helping to move a buying decision? I think it's gotta be one where you drive trust uh, and affinity. Um, 
and comfort with the, the acquisition process. That's where brand comes into play. Because if you think about it, you could listen to your customer, you could build an engagement strategy based around their needs, and you could pop up at the points in their buying journey where um, they likely want to hear from you. But if your brand is tarnished um, or its reputation isn't great, then ultimately they won't engage with you because you're not a brand they want to buy from. So that's the importance of brand. Brand for me is the umbrella of everything that drives um, a sale process in terms of comfort with with um, the, the final decision. So brand is really important from a trust and respect perspective. And so I think those brands that um, do a great job of of articulating why they do good in the world. Um, and increasingly, it's great to see more and more uh, brands go for B Corp, for example, why they do good in the world, why they are not focused so- solely on profit, why they are focused on supporting their their customer and partner and um, stakeholder ecosystem. That's where brand comes into play. And, and I think it's something that's got to be authentic at the heart of the business. So it comes from the top of the organization. You know, the leadership of any brand has to say, this is what we stand for in the marketplace. This is how we communicate that. And this is how we live, live up to that, that, that brand promise. Because by doing so, we will become a trusted, reliable, and uh, accepted brand in the minds of our buyers. And without that, you know, you can be as clever as you want to be with data and be audi- as audience-centric as you want to be, but you won't get the sale because people won't want to buy from you. Describe what you feel the best founders, CEOs of uh, marketing services businesses, but any business in, in, in general, what do you think those founders and CEOs do consistently well to grow their businesses over time? I, 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 have you seen things that they do day after day, day after day, week after week that, that, that constantly drive success? Yeah, I think it's a relentless customer focus, right? I know that may sound like a cliche, but I'll give you an, uh, another anecdote going back to my my. my my childhood, uh, my grandfather had a greengrocer shop um, in Devon. I used to go down there for summer holidays. And um, he, his greengrocer shop was at the top of a, a parade, and, and then there was another one at the bottom of the parade. And I used to walk up and down the parade with my cousin, um, just hanging out you know, as eight or nine years old. My grandfather's greengrocer shop was always busy, and the one at the uh, other end of the parade was never that busy. And I only ever understood why that was when uh, I sat or stood in the corner um, and just watched my grandfather in action. And he knew every customer who came in there mm. and he would have an engagement with them around their interests. So a customer might come in and he would say, Mrs. Brown, nice to see you. How's your son getting on at university? Or, you know, so Mr. Smith, you come in, uh, is the car fixed? He knew every customer and it was all lodged up there and he treated every customer in a way where they felt special. Mm. And ultimately, that's the success. That's the, 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 the DNA of any successful business. And it doesn't matter if it's you know a, 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 a you know, small family-owned uh, greengrocer store or the world's biggest business. If you don't treat your customer with respect yeah. and understanding, and build your business around the needs of that customer as far as you can do, then you won't be successful. And I think that's the that's the essence for me of any CEO that they need to understand. He he or she has to be starting with. Uh, point of saying, yeah, I've got I've got a great solution to um, to a market need. I've differentiated myself. I'm building a great culture to deliver it um, successfully. But at the heart of it is understanding the customer and delivering the best possible customer experience. 
such that my customers love me. You've got to be customer assessed. Otherwise, if you're not, you won't have a business. Knowing what you know today, which parts of your career or business journey would you have slowed down to absorb more of the learnings from those experiences? So I guess the first thing I would say is uh, one great regret is, um, yeah, I, I finished university and went straight into to pretty much straight into work. Um, and that was you know, a financial need. Right? My parents couldn't support me um, and I, I needed to go and earn some money. But I wish someone back then had said, Clive, you know, you're 21. You're going to work for a number of years. Take a year out and go, go travel around the world. Um, because by doing so, I would have I would have widened my horizons in classic cliche around uh, you know travel um i would have had a great time and i would have then gone into work probably a more rounded individual so that that that, you know that's not necessarily about within my career but before i started my career and i think i would say to anyone who's coming out of college now and thinking about the first job you have got you know probably sadly longer in your working life than i i've even got because you know we're all going to have to work longer um so just take the time to, to, to go do some, something for yourself. Nourish your soul and go traveling and, and uh, go and do some things that, that will live long in your memory. I've got a new closing question. I, I hope you've had a chance to have a look at it and prepare an answer for it because I, I really like it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, fire it at you now. We're at a nice restaurant of your choosing, any restaurant. What, what's your favorite restaurant, by the way? Have you got one? So sadly, it's, it's, it's closed now. Um, I'm a massive West Ham fan, as I think you're aware. Um, there was a uh, traditional cafe on, or actually it's probably better known as a cath. It was Ken's Cath on Green Street, right by the old West Ham ground. That uh, was somewhere we went for years. My father, my grandfather, uh, friends, family. Um, and so I would say the food was was distinctly average, but the ambience and the atmosphere and the memories were fantastic. So that would be my favorite place. Okay, so we're at that cafe now. And you can choose three people, dead or alive, to be with you at that cafe to make you smarter or better in some way, shape or form. Which which three people do you pick? So, so you know, you gave me a heads up that you would ask this question, so I've thought about it. Um, I would say the first person will be Ronald Reagan. And the reason for that is not necessarily a particular admirer of his uh, policies. His uh, politics, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or his politics. But I'm a massive admirer about the fact that this, you know, basically uh, B-movie uh, cowboy was able yeah. to build um, uh, a team around him, which was was phenomenal. And he had people of the caliber of James Baker. And I think his ability to build teams that delivered to his uh, presidency uh, was was really impressive. You know, he probably would say himself he was not the the, the 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 brightest guy in the room by any means, but he picked people around him who could do a job for him, and that I think um, would be worth discussing with him. How did you do that? How did you recognise talent? How did you get them to work for you when they may not have even taken you seriously? Um, I'd love to explore that. So that's the first thing. The second thing, so that's about building teams. The second thing would be grace under pressure. And uh, for that, and, and it's quite, um, I guess, timely that we're in, in uh, Ken's Cafe right by the West Ham ground, I'd have Bobby Moore. Uh, <laughs> and the reason I have Bobby Moore is because this is a guy who's the only, only living English, well, the only Englishman who's, who's lifted the, uh, the World Cup. But he did so in a way which was incredible because he did so under enormous pressure at home, right? And we've learned through watching our English football teams um, that pressure does terrible things to people who've got an amazing talent. But um, 
when England scored the winning goal, the ball came to Moore and he could have built it out out uh, off the pitch, um, done anything with it to, to 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 wind down the clock. But he actually took a touch, looked up, and played a killer pass to Jeff Hurst, who went down and scored this goal. So having that grace under pressure. And then at the moment he was going to pick up the, the World Cup from the Queen, he realised he had muddy hands and he took a second to wipe his hands on the cloth before he took the, the cup from the Queen. And just that grace under pressure, you know, that's that's leadership, right? And to, to be able to cope with pressure um, at the most pressured times, I think it would be, it'd be hugely interesting to, 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 to explore that with him. How did he manage that? And the last one would be the, the late Queen. And the reason for that is that I think sometimes... I, uh, you know, one failing of mine is I can't keep my mouth shut, you know, and uh, I might sometimes say things I regret because I'm a bit passionate or a bit emotive. She had a lifetime when she must have wanted to tell so many people <laughs> their fortune, and she never did. <laughs> she, she just kept it. She yeah. acted that role yeah. uh, in a way which was incredible. As and again, you know, if you think about leadership, they're all three leaders in different ways. Mm. How do we learn from her ability to be stoic and to keep her counsel and to say? Uh, what she needed to say and no more. I'd love to learn that. So those three people will be in Ken's camp. I can't imagine all of them in Ken. <laughs> Maybe Bobby Moore. Is, uh, yeah, it was pretty local to him, but the Queen and Ronald Reagan. And Reagan. What, what a sight to see that would be. Oh, wow. That's probably the greatest answer that we've had to that question. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And just having the, the picture of Ronald Reagan, Bobby Moore and the Queen in Ken's camp, I think that's going to live with me for a long time. Love that. Clive, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. And I love your business, Nathan. I think you're onto something with B2B Influence. I think it's the next great uh, kind of um, opportunity. So I'm sure you're going to do really, really well. Super excited. This is Influence is a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B influencer agency for technology brands. I could not produce this show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to This is Influence.